Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. We had an Ambition Theory online event a few weeks ago, and there was a word I kept hearing. I'm sorry. People would say it when they were late to networking coffee, when they shared their story and it went a bit long, when they had to leave early to go to a meeting. I was hearing this word over and over again, and it's interesting because we actually encourage people to show up as the messy and marvelous people that they are. And when you show up as your authentic self, there is absolutely no reason to apologize. But I wanted to explore this concept further. So I invited Anouk Malavoy, the Vice President of Business Development at Ashley Gilbert in Toronto, to share her story of how she was able to stop apologizing and what happened to her professionally when she did. This is a conversation about bringing your whole self to work and not apologizing for the multiple areas of your life. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about the Ambition Theory Community, which is our brand new monthly membership program that supports leaders all over the world to advance their leadership capacity. It includes professional coaching and access to thought leaders like Anouk Malavoy, who you're going to hear in this episode. The best part is that you'll be surrounded by people who are trying to achieve the same level of success that you are. To join the community, go to ambitiontheory.ca. Hello, Anouk. I'm so glad that you're here with us today on the Ambition Theory podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? So my name is Anouk Malvoy. I'm uh, the Vice President of Business Development at Ashley Gilbert Limited. I live in Toronto, uh, Ontario, so about 10 minutes from downtown. I have uh, three young-ish children, 8, 10, and 12. And um, I think I'm the average North American working mom who's trying to juggle all the moving parts. And it's so funny, the reason that we're having this interview today is that we had an International Women's Week speaker series uh, about a month ago. And one thing really interesting happened was we noticed that there was a lot of people apologizing. So people would come late to a networking event. People would leave early. And it was, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm late. Or someone would talk a lot in the networking event. They'd share their story. And they'd say, oh, sorry, I took up so much time. And it got to the point where in every single event, I kept having to remind people, we don't actually apologize for being here. If you're late, it's okay. If you have to leave early because you got to go to work, that is okay. We're just happy that you're here. We're just happy um, that you're a part of this series. And you were talking to Jody about this idea that women always apologize for being a mom, for being late, for being a manager, for all of these things. And we wanted to continue this conversation. So I'm so honored um, that you showed up. And you're willing to talk about your journey and going from apologizing all the time and just kind of stopping this apology train that I think you were on for a while and that so many of us are. And I'm excited to hear your story about what happened next. So I want to go back 
because this idea of apologizing, as soon as we, I recognize it in people, I realize, oh my goodness, this is happening all the time. I apologize too much all the time as well. Um, but I want to, I want you to take us back to before you realize that you didn't really have to apologize for who you are and what you brought to the table. Um, tell us what was going on for you. I think I, um, I think I was raised by, um, um, I was raised, my, my parents were separated. So I was raised by a single mom. My dad was involved, but my mom definitely did most of the work. And, uh, my two grandmothers were also separated. And so I was raised by very, very strong, powerful women who did it all and who didn't ask for much help and who just rolled up their sleeves every day and, um, raised children, worked, worked really hard to, uh, pay the bills. And so my role models were of um, not asking for help. And if I felt inadequate or I wasn't producing as much as I should, I should apologize and justify it. Um, and so I was never raised with the uh, the role model of true equality, because even though my dad was very involved with us, my mom definitely did most of the work. And so um, as I got older, I started to be more aware of that. And um, I started to notice my behavior when I was in, at work and I was I worked dominantly with men um, and I would always have I would always find I needed to justify and I was putting this on myself. They weren't putting this on me. Um, I would justify um, how I was making up for the fact that I was also a mom at home. So I was trying to compensate for the fact that I was pulled in different directions. And then, um, you know, as we'll discover on this podcast, I realized that there was nothing to apologize for. <laughs> as um, I have three kids and being a mother is the most important thing in my life. So I want to understand the behaviors that were showing up for you as a leader, because you are you do have a pretty um, high leadership position right now. So kind of as you were rising in your career, what are some of the behaviors um, that you were doing that was showing up in these as these apologies, whether you were saying it or you were acting in an apologetic way? Can you describe that to us? Uh, absolutely. So I would feel as though uh, if I if I had to come home and deal with the kids and, um, you know, some some days I had to pick them up from school um, or, you know, there was something going on at school that needed my attention, I would feel as though I would want to justify why I was leaving and how I was, I was going to make up for it rather than simply stating, um, I'm going to have to go. Uh, I need to attend to one of my children and trusting that I was enough and I would get the job done. And I, and I do get the job done, right? So um, at my office, nobody will tell you that I'm lazy or um, that I'm, I'm taking advantage of the system. I just get pulled in different directions. And I was trying to justify it rather than just say, I have to go home and take care of my kids or actually, you know what, my family needs me right now. So they're the priority and I'm going to go home. I was finding ways to say, I'm so sorry, I have to do this. And I, I'm, I'm so sorry that I, I couldn't be part of this call because I had to be with my child. And um, I just noticed that I, it was in my vocabulary quite a bit. Okay, so you changed, but I want to know about that moment when you realized there had to be a different way. Like, I can't keep going down this apologizing all the time, trying to hide my kids, trying to be kind of two. It's almost like you were like two different people, right? Like you had to be a mom when you were at home and then you got to work and you you had to apologize for that part of yourself. You didn't actually bring all of that to the table. But I want to know the moment where you changed and you realized there had to be a different way. So I think I think for me, the, the change is actually quite recent and it was a journey. But the aha moment um, happened, I would say, within the last six months. So 
as COVID hit, my responsibilities as mom altered because my kids weren't going to school full time. Being in Toronto, which is a hot zone, our kids have been home more than, you know, other regions in the country. Therefore, um, I was trying to, you know, rush to work, rush back home for lunch, rush back to work. And I was really trying to wear all the hats and, and in the similar way of when things weren't different. And when the third wave hit and I found out the kids were going to be homeschooled again, that was really an aha moment for me where I thought, I'm not well when I'm trying to be everything to everyone. And um, I'm a better leader when I'm watering the plant that is the plant of my family. And therefore, I decided to work from home uh, most of the time. And today I'm at work, but I would say now I'm at home 75% of the time because my kids need a presence when they're homeschooling. And by leaving in two-hour increments, it, it was too much. So I realized in making those life changes for my family and for myself that it wasn't something I needed to apologize for and it was circumstantial and that everybody else was in the same boat as me and there's a lot of working mothers in America and we're all doing the best we can. Uh, so a couple of things from that Anouk. So thank you for recognizing that it's not a a personal growth is not an event, right? Because I know before you said this, you've been on this journey for a while. So you've been kind of recognizing that you don't need to apologize, you can be your whole self. But as recently as six months ago, you realized, you know what, I need to level this up again, I need to continue on this journey, because it never really ends. So I'm wondering if you can take us back even further to kind of that initial realization when your kids were really young, and you're thinking about like, what is expected of me as a mother, what's expected of me professionally, and how you figured that out. Um, so when I, when I was carrying my second child, my, my daughter Inez, I had um, a complicated pregnancy. So I had a hematoma, which which can cause you to have a miscarriage. So without getting into too, man, too much detail, definitely was uh, a difficult moment in my life. And when she was born, <clears throat> I, I felt very nervous and anxious that something was going to happen to her. And therefore, I identified an anxious, I've always been anxious by nature, I would say, um, high energy. Um, and I identified a behavior that I didn't want to pass on to my daughter. And I didn't want my daughter to, to be uh, cocooned by me because I had nervousness that something would happen to her. And I noticed a difference in the way I was treating her and guarding her versus the way I had been with my first baby, uh, who slept at my mom's, I think at the age of 10 weeks old, when I went to a wedding. So I sought out a therapist who I had met years before, and um, she she told me when we started therapy that it would be a seven year journey, that cells take seven years to regenerate, and she was she was in fact very right. So I embarked in the seven year journey to uh, be the best I could be and work through all those barriers that were causing me to overcompensate and over apologize. I love that your therapist said it's a seven year journey. So it's not a quick fix. It's not like, okay, I'm decided tomorrow, I'm not going to apologize anymore. And you can check the box and be ready for it. So tell me what that was like, like, what kind of things did you work on um, personally? And how did that show up for you professionally? I think I think the human, the human mind and soul is very layered. So like that of the trunk of a tree, and we all have different life experiences that shape who we are. Therefore, if we want to change behaviors, and fundamentally change certain things we do and certain tendencies we have, we have to peel back that onion, right? So 
what I did was my initial commitment with her was I saw her weekly and then it became uh, biweekly and then it became monthly. And we worked through the different areas of my life. So, you know, I, my, my father, when he was still alive, went through many illnesses and that would bring out in me, of course, a fear and anxiety. And how was I, de- how was I dealing with those emotions? And I, I lost a lot of sleep over them, but then I learned to acquire the tools needed to release those holdbacks and help me be a more effective leader because I wasn't passing on that anxiety and that stress to my team um, or to my kids. And, you know, please understand I'm a work in progress, right? So <laughs> the journey never ends. And, um, you know, there's still moments where those old behaviors want to resurface, but I, I definitely acquired the tools in in that journey with, uh, with my therapist to deal with things in a, in a calmer manner, if you will. I love this idea of therapy because I believe that therapy helps you in work, at work, and at, at home as a as a person. Um, you're, the focus of your therapy was mostly personal, um, but I'm so curious, what kind of things did you work on, or maybe what are some of the benefits that you experienced on the professional side? Well, I think I think you're correct in that my initial intent was personal, but I I 100% feel I could not do the role I do at Ashley Gilbert well if I had not gone to therapy for eight years. I think that it enabled me to not function from the ego. Therefore, when I'm working with a team, I don't take things personally. I understand that everybody's got their own life and that will cause them to react or be a certain way. And it's not against me per se. I don't think I was in that frame of mind 10 years ago. I think I would have been more reactive and defensive and maybe not visibly, but I would have held it inside. Whereas now I'm, I'm able to understand um, my, my colleagues a little better. I also feel as though by discovering myself and my my tendencies and my hold box and my qualities, I was able to apply them in my work world. So, you know, when you go through therapy, you start to, there's things about yourself that you maybe don't love as much. And there's things about yourself that you do like and that you excel in. And I started to understand that um, my my hyperactive nature and my high energy nature was actually Sometimes my, my, how, how would I describe it? It was, it was working against me, but it was also my superpower. Yeah. This the saying, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And when you overuse your strength, it kind of comes back to haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, like talk to me, talk to me about your career journey and the progression. Cause I'm so curious about, um, how this happened and what happened to you after you decided you're like, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to bring my whole self to work. I'm just going to be a nuke wherever I am. I am a nuke and all the things that come along with it. I want to know exactly how do people treat you at work? Like, did you notice any differences? What opportunities did you see or get or what things came out of all this? Uh, I think, I think that if you love yourself and you respect yourself and the actions you're taking, it's a lot easier for others around you to feed off that energy. So if I say to you, I want to stop apologizing, but I'm doing it in a very meek manner and I'm not so sure and I'm not believing in what I'm saying, it won't come across as confident. Whereas because I'm at a point now where I, I truly don't feel that I need to apologize um, for, for my role as a mom, for the juggle of having uh, an executive role and being a mom, I think that I, I'm respected by my colleagues, right? But I'm also 
willing to go to bat for them and they know they can reach me at any time. So with the flexibility that comes with being a mom and, and needing to be with your kids, I'm also willing to say, if you need to have a conversation on a Saturday, if you need to call me at you know 6.30 a.m. and you want to have a meeting, I'll make time. Just let me know and I'll schedule you in so that my team always feels they're important and they have a place as well. So I would say... Um, okay, I want to. I have a question about this boundary because it sounds like you have a really good boundary system in place professionally. Um, me, look from the outside looking in, it seems like your team is confident that they can go, they can take risks. But if they really need your help, you are there for them. How did you set that up so that you don't, you're not the always on? Because I've talked to other people. I know I had someone in my work in a workshop I did about a month ago, and they said they're like. They bring their laptop to the dining room table and they had Microsoft Teams open and it was always not like, in case my team needs me, I need to be always there. So how did you get to this point where you have a really healthy boundary where your team knows you're there, but it's not the always on mentality. You're always scrolling your phone. You got it there all the time. So I, there's no, there's no devices near the, the dinner table at my house ever. Right. So it's, that's, that's a hard rule. Um, I'm also conscious of, for example, I was with my kids last night and as of 630, um, my phone was off. I turned my phone off. So when I say you can reach me at any time, I'm not sleeping with my phone beside my bed. I just mean reach out, let's schedule something. I, I, if, if it's really an yeah, you said it. I think you said it, Anouk. I think the key is your team knows they can schedule it. So you're like, if it's Friday night and it's an emergency, you're like, if it's 6 p.m. on a Friday, they maybe could get in a hold of you and be like, they know if we don't deal with this right now, I could talk to a new Saturday morning and it's going to be okay. I think that's the key to it being a healthy boundary in that you said it, we can schedule something. So it's not like we need to put the fire out this second, but let's take a deep breath and book the call tomorrow and I'll be full on there for you all the time. And then your kids know you can prep or, you know, whatever else you're doing, you can prepare for that. I think that's what you do. Mm-hmm. That, that's what works for me, right? So I think... um Devices, devices are tricky. We want to teach our kids work ethic and we want to teach them that we work hard. Absolutely. And that we have responsibilities. And I explain to my kids sometimes, um, if, if I have to, if I pick them up after school one day and it's 4.30 and I'm checking a few emails, I will literally verbally say to my children, mommy's on her phone right now because she's still working, right? You needed me to pick you up, but I'm, I'm still working and I'm still accountable to respond to certain things. And if it's after hours, absolutely, it can call me. But like I said, let's schedule something. I'm a very early morning riser. So I'm a big fan sometimes of I'll go for a long walk and and, and have, you know, a heart to heart with a rep or, or a colleague. And, and we'll go through some things because nobody is being bothered at that time. It's quite early. And I've had uh, my, my two owners have always had that approach with me. So I've always felt I could reach out to them at any time. And if they couldn't get back to me right away, they would say, hey, um, I'm free at this time. And they would always make me feel like they had time for me. And I think that's very important. Okay. I love the culture that you talked about in the company because it comes from the top, right? It sounds like these leaders, they really set that culture that I am there for you, but it's not the always on, like, call me if you need me anytime. Cause I think there's a fine line in other companies, this like always on mentality, especially now has been a big, big stressor for people. Another thing you said I find really interesting is that you don't actually apologize to your kids. Like if you need to pick them up earlier, you're like, yeah, I'm working. This is just the thing. It's not, sorry, honey. Sorry, I still got to work. No, no, 
I'm working and this is this is part of it. And you're not apologizing either way. So I wanted to just acknowledge that because I think that's pretty awesome that you're yeah, you're setting that role model for your kids as well. But I want to go back to the question about the success that you're getting in your career. So I wanted you to I want you to talk about your rise to leadership and 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 how that happens and how bringing your whole self to work, acknowledging that you're a mom, acknowledging that you have all these things about you, um, how that really helps you rise to leadership. I think that in life, we all strive for balance. So when we have different hats that we wear, so whether it be being a parent, caring for an elderly parent, caring for a sick friend, whatever it is, we try to achieve balance. So we want to be there for people on a personal level and we want to do well professionally. One doesn't go without the other, in my opinion. So I will not perform better in my role at Ashley Gilbert if things are not going well for me at home and I don't feel I'm present for my kids because I will feel that pull. And if my kids aren't well, I'm not well. They're a part of who I am. So I think that by taking the time to be with my kids when I need to be with them, and it can be something as, you know, my 10 year old can be having a rough week and I leave work and I will pick her up and I'll, I'll bring her home for lunch and we'll spend an hour together and we'll talk it out. And I'll, I'll help her reset and then I'll send her back to school. That afternoon will be more productive for me because I'm in a good place because she's in a good place. So I think that learning that I didn't have to justify or excuse the role of me being a mother, I was practicing what I preached. Whereas before I've always said women need to stand tall, women need to, you know, be respected as an equal. But how am I, how am I portraying that by justifying and excusing myself and saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. I got to pick up my kid. Why, why am I apologizing? I can just say, you know what, actually, I have to go pick up, um, I've got to go pick up Inez. She's having a rough day and that's where I need to be in this moment. And I think that when you work with people who respect you and who know you're going to do a good job and work, they, they, they respect that because it's a transparency. So, um, and I think we're all in the same boat and men as well, right? Because men now are more involved with their kids. Um, my, my owners have children and they understand, right? Kids. Kids are important and they come first. So. Amazing. So one question, I know, I know this thing about kids and the juggle is very common. I have three kids, so I feel it all the time, but I'm so curious in your observation and you work in business development. So, you know, lots of different people at lots of different companies, uh, for people that don't have kids, what aspects of their lives are they hiding? Cause I remember when I was younger, I remember it would always be like the people with kids like, well, I got to go pick up my kid from daycare. And that was always a reason to leave. Right. And I remember thinking early in my career, like, well, I want to meet my friend at 530 and go for a run. But it wasn't really a a good excuse to say, right? Like, well, I can't stay late today because I got a plan. Um, I booked a, a run with my friend and I wanted to hang out with my friend. So I want, I want, I'm curious about from your, cause that, that's my experience, my experience. Like I, I kind of like apologize because I wanted to have plans after work when I was single and I didn't have anybody going on. But what other things have you seen that people hide that they don't bring to work that they don't acknowledge that holds them back? So I think, I think people will often feel as though anything they're doing for themselves is viewed as something that could be frowned upon because it's not work. And because we live in, so I, not we, I live in Toronto and it's very like New York, Paris. It, there's an element sometimes to the culture that's almost disturbing where you're deemed as a hard worker because you've come to work and you're sick. That, that's, that, 
Those, these are things that absolutely fundamentally need to change in the workforce. Nobody's a hero when they come into the office because they're not well. We need to care for ourselves and our bodies and our, our minds, especially right now where we're in an era where the human brain can't keep up with the technology growth. So I think that the advice I would have for people who do not have kids is lay down your priorities. So you're a runner, Andrea. So for example, to say to, to say to someone you're working with, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be in a little, an hour later today. I need to, I need to go for a run. Um, and when you get hired, set that at the forefront of the agreement. So, so sit with your employer or maybe have a reset with your current employer and say, look, I'm finding right now, here are the things I need to be well. And sometimes I'm only able to squeeze a run in in the middle of the day because I'm up early and I feel that that's my optimal performance time. And I, I really don't want to be micromanaged because I'd like there to be a trusting relationship. I will get the work done that needs to be done. But when I need to go for a run or when I need to work out, I'd like to be elevated to do so. And I think that by saying it like that, what what employer wouldn't want that to happen if you're if you're in a role with some flexibility like if you're working in production you can't just leave in the middle and you you have to have a scheduled break but i think on the contrary employers right now are embracing that because they know that an employee that is doing well mentally is the ideal kind of employee because they're going to perform better right what are some other things that people apologize for that you've seen uh i think people apologize for be, being inadequate, uh, having a lack of energy. And um, I, I hear all the time people saying they don't have time for themselves. And I always say to people, you need to schedule time for yourself in your outlook the way you would schedule time for someone else because the most important person is yourself. And if you don't love who you are, it's going to be a lot harder for you to give out the kind of love you want to give out. It's important for us to, to have some self-love to respect ourselves. And by doing that, you know, and everybody's different. The recipe for everybody's happiness is different. I'm like you, Andrea, we're working out is a very important part of my day. 95% of the time I do it at six in the morning, but on a day where maybe I have a child that pops out of bed early and needs me, um, I won't go work out. But then you know what, if I need to at noon, hop on my bike or go for a run or, or, you know, at four o'clock, go for a run, I'll do it. Okay, I love that. And I love that you said people apologize for not having time for yourself, because it's like the cycle, right? It's like, I don't have time for myself. So I'm anxious, I'm not productive. And I'm apologizing. So I don't have time for myself. And it's like, if you break the cycle and be like, don't apologize for taking time for yourself, then you'll be more productive. And then you won't have to apologize. So it's almost like you got to rip the bandaid off and start with something really small. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have you- one last. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I was going to say, you say, I think, I think the biggest thing I've learned too in the last year is the power of the language we use, right? So if sometimes somebody will say, I don't have time for myself, and I'll say, you don't make time for yourself because we are our own boss, right? So we have to think about the language we use because we can schedule whatever we need to schedule. And I, and I understand that, you know, I don't want to say some people have a very difficult uh, life and they're working a 12 hour day and they have young kids. And I'm not suggesting everybody's in the same boat, but it's, it's, it can be as simple as carving out 15 minutes in the morning to get up a little earlier, have a coffee quietly, set your intentions for the day. What are you grateful for? That's what I do every morning. You know, I, I I'm in my bed. I take a few breaths and I, I just, what am I grateful for? My kids are healthy, you know, uh, my family, you know, just a few, I, I name a few things. What are my intentions for the day? 95% of the time, it's be more patient. <laughs> That's a recurring theme. Um, 
but I set my intention. And then when I go to bed, rather than going to bed thinking of all the things I didn't do good enough, that I didn't accomplish like I would have, which would have been me if, you know, five years ago, I go to bed thinking I truly did the best I can today and tomorrow's a new day and I can strive to just be better tomorrow. Right. So, um, being kinder to myself. <laughs> I love it. Okay. One last question. Um, what skills do you think will be required to lead in 2021 and beyond? I think that people who will be leading the, the millennials, if you will, and, and the younger generation will have to have an understanding of what they've dealt with in terms of pressure and how they, the, how the impact of being in front of screens as much as they have has affected them mentally. And so I think a strong level of empathy to be a good leader. I think guidance, so a form of coaching. So what I do, I mentor um, three or four young women on the side that are in their early 20s. And I'll always, you know, ask them to be aware of how they feel and not push it aside. Because I also think as women, sometimes we have a tendency to put feelings in a black box. And, and if they don't suit our lifestyle or we think they could be an issue, we just don't say anything. And I just say to them, just be very mindful of how you're feeling and creating balance. So exercise, nutrition, family, friends, and, and work is a part of that. Absolutely. But just to help them find that balance because the younger generation is glued to their phones. And I, I think that the turning it off is going to be harder for them. So I think it's teaching them how to reconnect on a very primal level, whether it be going for a walk in the forest or, you know, going to meet your parents without a phone. <laughs> And having a 30-minute conversation um, so that you truly connect. Okay, so it's all about that human connection. That's the thing that it's going to take to lead beyond. I love that. All right. We end every podcast interview with a call to action. And that is something that people can do within 24 hours to just get started. So what is something that people can do right away if they're like, you know what? I want to start taking, bringing my whole self to work. I want to stop apologizing. How could someone get started in a baby step, something they can do today or tomorrow? I think doing the exercise of understanding what's the most important in your life and writing it out would be the first step. And I love it. What makes you feel good, right? So, and just to be very honest, and, and what makes you feel could be good could be, you know, having a glass of red wine at 5 p.m. Put it all down, right? And then... I, I'm a big one, three, and five-year goal person, so I do that every year. So what's your one-year goal? What's your five, three-year goal? What's your five-year goal? Make yourself accountable to yourself. So we always think that we're accountable to a boss or to, to a, a husband or a wife or a parent. You're accountable to yourself. So what is it you're striving for? And, and write down those intentions. And don't see it as a failure if you don't reach them. You're working towards them. And then I would just say, use your outlook as also a place to journal and keep your personal goals. So schedule out that 60 minutes of fitness, schedule out that 30 minute debrief at the end of the week to see how did I eat this week? How did I feel? Like, was I low energy? Did it impact my sleep so that you can function in, at an optimal level? I love it. So to really just start with writing down what makes you happy, what makes you feel good. That is so simple, but so, so powerful. So I would love it if people could do that today. Or if you're a night person, do it tonight before you go to bed. If you're a morning person, tomorrow morning with your coffee. And Anu, thank you so much for this interview. I learned a lot and I hope everybody listening does too. How do people connect with you? They can just reach me on LinkedIn. Um, if they go to Anu Kamalavoy, there's not many. <laughs> so 
uh, they can happily connect with me and they can ask me questions or anything they need uh, through LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.